drugs. Some of the Sunday school children are on their way up. Praise the Lord for those teachers who take up this work, teaching the Lord's. You open the scriptures this morning to 2 Timothy and we'll continue in this series. Someone asked me during the week, I think it was my son from New Zealand on the phone, now are you going to have a special Father's Day message? I said no. Uh, we're just going to carry on and um, deal with uh, what we've been given thus far. And so um, let's pick up Second Timothy chapter 3 and we'll read from verses 14 to 17. That's the last verse in chapter 3. Second Timothy chapter 3 and verses 14. This is Paul writing to Timothy, a young pastor at Ephesus. And here he counsels him. You, however, continue in the things you have learned and become convinced of, knowing from whom you have learned them, and that from childhood you have known the sacred writings which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. All scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for proof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate or fully qualified, equipped for every good work. And may the Lord add a blessing to the reading of his word this morning. As way of introduction, I want to ask, have you ever been confronted with a situation in life that is, to say the least, dismal? So it is one the fact that it's kind of way beyond your control to repair whatever's happened or, or even think about restoring it. This might be where your family has completely let you down. That happened, right? And the relationships maybe that you once enjoyed are now in ruins and beyond repair. It may be that there is a health issue that has snuck up on you or your family and the prognosis is dire, once again, out of your control. Or it may be where your career, for example, or business decisions that are outside of your control have been made and you are bereft of the necessary means that you once had. All these different scenarios are examples of what I am sure most of you will know, or if you don't know, they will happen at some stage in your lives. You'll be at least familiar with the general drift and despair that something like this brings upon a person or a family or a group of people. What they do is they confront us with a fallout. And often the fallout is, is dire. In other words, there are certain paths that have been cut, decisions and choices being made, which result in these dire consequences. And the hard and the most difficult part in all this is we often can do nothing to repair or restore whatever is broken. It's too far gone 
it's out of our control. I think I've pushed the point enough for you to imagine or think of situations that you know about this. It can even come down to throwing our hands in the air and saying, what's the use of giving up? It's just too hard. Well, folks, Timothy was also facing a situation in the Ephesus church in that city. <coughs> he was facing a situation in the church and also from the culture outside the church that was too far gone that he could not in any way change or restore things to where that they should be. He was still himself holding on but the pastoral ministry was weighing heavy on this young man. The going for him was extremely tough and it was not getting easier. After all, Paul had just told him what? Paul had just told him in verse 13, the, the prior verse that, we, uh, that uh, we started reading from. It said, evil men and impostors will proceed from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. And at the beginning of the chapter, you just told them the last days, difficult times will come, and a whole raft of descriptions of what men and people, mankind, will be like. In other words, false doctrine, false teachers, Catholic preachers are here to stay, and times for you, Timothy, are going to be extremely difficult and become more and more difficult. Timothy, this is how it's going to be, says Paul in the last days. And as we've already discussed, those last days spread from the ascension of Christ to the return of Christ, which we are still in right now. Paul says, as a matter of fact, the society will be so bad that genuine believers in Jesus Christ will suffer persecution to some degree or other. And you cannot change the course that this world has chosen to this is the warning that the Apostle Paul has given Timothy in the first 13 voices of chapter 3. But from verses 14 onwards, what we've read this morning, Paul's counsel to Timothy changes tack again from one of warning to an encouraging solution. We love solutions to problems, don't we? Well, Paul gives it here. And so like a father to his child, Paul counsels Timothy. He counsels Timothy, and I might say every child of God, down through history, even to this present day, on how to respond and flourish for the glory of God in this too far gone sinful world. He does this by turning Timothy's focus from the sinful culture and, and all the counterfeit religiosity that is around him and even snuck into the church. He does this by turning his, his focus to center on his own responsibility and his service to the Lord. And he does this by saying at the beginning of verse 14, you, however, you see that? In other words, Timothy, you are fundamentally different than these evil men and imposters who are all around you. They are unbelievers, but you are a believer. You're a child of God. You, Timothy, belong to the Lord, and this is why you always must choose to obey and continue in, you, in what you have been taught from the Scriptures. 
And then he gives Timothy the only solution for him to flourish as a minister of the gospel amidst a corrupted church and shifting cultural values. And he begins by saying, first of all, what he does, and he begins his counsel by giving his first point by saying, be convinced from the scriptures for your directions in life. You see that in verse 14. Now, last time we were together in this chapter, we saw the value and needed ministry of having mentors in our lives, as Timothy had in Paul. Well, in this section, it's not so much the the mentor that is that is vital, but it's all about the vital necessities of Scripture to direct our lives. Because he says this, you, however, continue in the things you have learned and become convinced of. You see that? I wonder if you understood and saw what Paul said here. He said to Timothy, Timothy, live by the book, which is the title for my message this morning that you briefly saw. Live by the book. Above all else, Timothy, live by the scriptures. In other words, it's scripture alone that gives us the way of salvation, of forgiveness of sin, that tells us of eternal life and a future eternal, eternal glory. It's scripture alone that does this. But it's also, it's also scripture alone that teaches us as believers how to live before God and how to serve Him worshipfully in a hostile world. And that's pretty difficult sometimes, isn't it? It's pretty difficult. Well, it's the scriptures alone that tells us. And so Paul says, Timothy, be convinced of the truth you have learned in the scriptures. Be established in that. Allow this truth that you have learned to become the foundation of all your living. Continue in that. And that word continue is in the imperative form, which simply means it's a command. It's not a, okay, if you really want to, it's a command. It's interesting to note, as you have a look at verse 13 in your Bibles, it says that evil men, what do they do? It says in verse 13, evil men proceed from bad to worse. you see that? Now the word for proceed there means advance or to go forward. And in the case of these evil men, it's advancing from bad to worse. Then in verse 14, Paul says to Timothy, you, however, and he uses the word continue. Continue in the things you have learned. Now the word continue in the Greek is the opposite to advance or to go forward. It's the word for remain. It's the word that means abide. It's the word that means stay. That's what continue in our text means. So Paul is saying to Timothy, he's saying this, don't advance, Timothy. Don't go forward. But remind, remain, abide, and stay. Continue in the things that you have learned. Paul is not saying, by the way, Timothy, remain in a holy huddle with other believers and never venture out to advance the gospel. He's not saying that. What he is saying is here is, Timothy, do not advance, do not proceed, do not go beyond the holy scriptures that you have learned. You get that? Timothy, do not go forward and leave the teachings of the scriptures behind you. Or kick them out of the way. 
and rely on your own opinions or your own ideas or some denominational trend or whatever. Don't do that, Timothy. Don't go beyond or advance the truth, beyond the scriptures. Let me pause here and consider this fundamental necessity of continuing and being convinced of the truth of scripture. We all need to really understand this, okay? We really do. You see, the learning of scripture that Timothy had right from childhood would have been absolutely useless unless he had continued in them. Understanding now what the word continued means. It would have been useless if he had a unless he continued in them as, as well as, as as steadfastly practicing what he learned. Because that's all part and parcel of continuing them, remaining in them, abiding in them, living by the book. Same goes for us, folks. Exactly the same goes for us. You can learn the Bible from the greatest of preachers. You can learn and go to the best seminaries or Bible schools. You can have a practice that reads the Bible from cover to cover, year in, year out. But if you do not continue in them, if you do not abide in them, if you do not stay in them, and if you do not live by what you have learned, it's a total waste of time. A total waste of time. All it produces at best is religious people who are puffed up with maybe some knowledge of the scriptures that produces men and women of mere preference or opinion rather than being men and women of conviction who follow through and continue in the things they have learned. And let me say this, sadly, the church today is full of men and women who have mere opinions and preferences and very little conviction. And what that results in is people shifting, or in other words, proceeding and advancing, like verse 13 talks about, from one position to another, or being tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine, like Paul describes in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 14. Many professing Christians are in the sad situation because they have chosen to ignore the command, continue in the things you have learned from the scriptures. My dear people, my prayer is that from this church, from this church, God would deeply impress upon all of us to be those who live by the book, to obediently choose to continue, be steadfast, be convinced in the things that we have learned from the scriptures. Because this is the most vital foundation for the ongoing health of us as individuals and as families and as this church. It's the only solution to combat the forces of Satan for the glory of God in a hostile world. We need to be men and women who live by the book. Another aspect that Paul draws Timothy's and our attention to is be thankful for those who taught you 
the scriptures. We see this in the second part of verse 14 and the first part of verse 15. And so what Paul does here, he continues his counsel to Timothy and all believers, including us here, by stating an obvious fact. He speaks about how God chooses to teach many of us the scriptures. He says, knowing from whom you have learned them, and that from a child you have known the sacred writings. And it is true, as we think about this, there are odd exceptions where a person comes to genuine faith through the reading of scriptures all by themselves. And you may be able to know people like that who, who just by reading a tract or, or reading the scriptures have come to faith in Jesus Christ. And it does happen. But might I say, it's the exception rather than the rule. Praise the Lord that it does happen. But this is not the normal way God brings people to a knowledge of the truth. But in rare cases it does happen. The normal is that God uses people, uses people in a good way, uses people as channels of his great blessing to teach others the scriptures. And he providentially, God does, brings people into our lives to introduce us to the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ for salvation, which many of us here can praise the Lord for. This is what Jesus did too, by the way. He went about preaching. About 30 years of age, he started preaching, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, was the crux of his message. And he preached to crowds, to the crowds. He preached to the religious leaders during his earthly ministry. He taught them from the scriptures. At that stage, he taught them from the Old Testament. Just like Timothy had been brought up on the Old Testament, Jesus taught them from it. Jesus also taught his disciples who became the apostles to do exactly the same thing. Teach from the scriptures. And so they went out and they taught and they preached to whosoever would believe. And as we trace the book of Acts, we see the gospel first going to the Jews and then it's spreading to the Gentile world. And as a result, here we are today, believers in the Lord. So all this to say is to have people in our lives that not only verbally teach us the scriptures but also authenticate the power of God's word by living a transformed life it's an indeed an immeasurable blessing to thank God for, right? An immeasurable blessing. In other words, Paul was here encouraging Timothy, Timothy, just take a breath here. Just pause. And all the, the heat of the moment that you're facing, pause. Timothy, take a breath and remember God's good hand upon you in that he brought people into your life who taught and lived out the scriptures. He arranged the circumstances that so you were born into a family who taught you the scriptures. Take a breath and think about that, Timothy. This should have been a tremendous encouragement to him. And to any of us here this morning who have been brought up in a family that have taught us from the scriptures. A tremendous encouragement. To have, and not only that, to have people who walk the talk. Who, like Timothy, his mother and grandmother, for and for at least 15 years, Timothy himself <coughs> mentoring and teaching young Timothy. 
who walked the talk and who authenticated God's transforming power before young Timothy. It must be a tremendous encouragement and that's an amazing gift to have in your life. And so Paul says to Timothy, Timothy, because of these living examples of how Scripture has powerfully transformed the lives of those who taught you, even from the cradle, according for you, Timothy, even from the cradle, you need to be doubly convinced to continue in the things that you have learned. How awesome it is, folks, to be brought up in a home where the Scriptures are taught and lived out by godly parents, have you? It's a marvellous way to learn the scriptures. Indeed it is. It's a, as a matter of fact, it's the very best way. As a matter of fact, it's the way that God intended it to be. Now, of course, we who have had this privilege, like Timothy, understand this, are more accountable for having this privilege than others who have not had this privilege. <coughs> The principle in scripture that we see in Luke 12, 48 bears us out. To, to whom much is given, more shall be required. So we're more accountable. That's a biblical principle. But I do realize at the same time, and so would you, that this is not the privilege of everyone. Even some here today were not born into a home where they had godly parents. But then he paused there. This is something more for you and for all of us to just be amazed at the amazing grace of God and how it can reach even into a pagan home and save who you will. Amen. Because as we know, as we say, some of us were just simply that pagans with no familial connection with spiritual truth. And so what God has done in all this, he hasn't raised us up in a, in a Christian family or a Bible teaching family, but God in his amazing grace uh, used whatever means he has chosen and he's invaded our personal lives. He's invaded our personal lives and he's overrun, can we say, our hardened will. He's overrun that, and with convicting truth, he impresses upon us the need of a saviour, and he brings us to faith. How good is that? God is good all the time, right? Whether you've been brought up in a Christian home or whether you haven't. He saved us. How good and compassionate and faithful is our God. But now we are all God's channels of what? Grace to others. And so this is why I encourage you as parents here this morning, and if you do not do this already, please make it a habit, a good and godly habit. Take the time on a daily basis to read and to teach your children the scriptures. It is essential for the spiritual health of your family and your children. Sunday school, don't rely on Sunday school. That's only a very limited time, maybe three quarters of an hour. Good and proper and right, but it's no substitute for parents who teach the children. And when I say, Dad, it's your responsibility to take this up because you're the head of the home. And so it was from the knees of Timothy's grandmother, Lois, and his mother, Eunice, that Timothy was taught the sacred writings. That is the Old Testament. Then in the providence of God, these dear ladies came to understand that 
the New Testament truth of the gospel was deeply connected. As a matter of fact, it was built on the foundation of what was written in the Old Testament. It kind of continued and finished the story, as it were. It answered so many questions that were kind of left dangling when Jesus Christ came into the world. And so by the providence of God, God had these ladies come into the, into the sound of New Testament truth and, and by faith they received Jesus, their Messiah, as their Christ and Lord. A bit like Lydia, remember? She was a good Jewish woman, just like um, Eunice and, and um, Lois were. She understood the Old Testament scriptures and Paul came along the way in the providence of God and, and he began explaining the scriptures down by the riverside and so there was Lydia and it says the Lord opened her heart and she responded to the truth of the gospel. So that's what these two ladies were like. And so what did they do? Sit and enjoy? No, no. They became channels of blessing, channels of God's grace. They passed along to Timothy. How awesome is that? Timothy, I believe, would have come to faith as a younger child, a younger person, because of the teaching of his grandmother and the living examples of his mother and grandmother in that home. And so this knowledge not only led his grandmother and mother to faith, but also Timothy as well. A sincere faith, spoken of in chapter 1 and verse 5, Paul says, Timothy, I perceive that like your grandmother and, my, and mother in you also is a sincere faith. There was genuine faith. They lived it out. And so Timothy was a guy who lived his faith out also. And Paul needed to remind him of this and of his godly heritage. But as we think about Timothy, we must understand that he was not a Paul. Right? He was not a Paul. He was different than Paul. He may have lacked Paul's stamina. He, he may have lacked Paul's fearlessness in the face of conflict, because he was a timid man, remember? But Timothy had a strength of character and faith in Jesus Christ, and he had a solid grip on the doctrines of Scripture that held him in good stead. He never opted out to take an easier route. He never changed his doctrinal stance to accommodate a shifting culture and, and the culture's values. He never did that. He was never rebuked for simple living. You see, Timothy had been well taught and had learned from his family and from Paul himself. And it was because of this he was qualified to be entrusted with the scriptures that we read in chapter 2, verse 2, that you are to teach others also. people, the value and internal impact of teaching others the scriptures, I don't need to remind you, it goes way beyond our, in, our finite thinking. We may think we're just doing a duty for the here and now, but you will know there are many stories and many occasions of children being brought up in the Christian home and coming to faith and then they teach someone and that person teaches someone else and that person is involved in someone else's lives and God brings about his purposes through chains of events that are linked by his channels obeying him. Thirdly, be reminded that God's wisdom leads to salvation. We see this in the second part of verse 15. 
you see the key element of what is told in the scriptures. And that is, it gives you wisdom. And this wisdom leads you to salvation. You see that? It says the sacred writings which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith in Jesus Christ, or Christ Jesus. And so what this shows us is that the direct, this shows us the direct connection between the Old Testament and the New Testament. And if you know anything about your Bible, you will know that from the first book, Genesis, to the last book, Revelation, it all tells us, when it's all put together, 66 books written over 1,500 odd years by numerous different writers that God has chosen, it tells us of one massive redemptive story that God has under control. It tells us of a plan of God rescuing people one by one from the penalty of their sin from every tribe and every tongue and every nation. But God in grace not only has told us what he has and will do on planet earth, but also how he will bring this massive redemption and renewal plan to completion. Steve's taken this book of Revelation. We can't jump right to the end of the story when you study that book. That tells us of its completion. And so in this book, in the scriptures, he gives us God's wisdom. Now you won't find God's wisdom anywhere else. You can look at the stars and you can look at the, look at the moon and, and, and all that God's created and, and, and be, be awestruck at, at, at such magnificence. But that's only a very, very limited part of understanding something of God's wisdom. Very limited. To know the wisdom of God, you need to dig deep into the Word of God. You need to understand His redemptive plan in the Scriptures. Simply put, if you want to hear and understand God's wisdom or see something of his mind at work and his being in action in this world, simply this, read the Bible. Read the Bible. And someone says, and if you want to hear God's audible voice, you read it out loud to yourself. You see, God has breathed into a scripturated form all that we need to know about himself. All that we need to know is about his eternality, his majesty. All we need to know about our origin, our sin, problem. And all we need to know about the only solution that God gives. You see, in his mercy, God tells us of the only way we can be reconciled to God. You know that? The only way that we can be reconciled to God, God gives it in clarity in the scriptures. The only way of being rescued and saved from, from sin's punishment and, and delivered from the just penalty of eternal hell, which every one of us here deserved, we're told in the scriptures how we can escape from that, how we can be reconciled, how we can become once an enemy and now to become his friend. The scriptures tell us that. Folks, scriptures also tell us in Psalm 40 and 1, a fool has said in his heart that there is no God. And there are heaps of fools in our world today, right? But the wisdom of God that leads to salvation through faith in Jesus Christ, that's God's wisdom, is only learned and given in the inscripturated Holy Word of God. I do hope that you have been led, or first of all read and been led by 
this divine wisdom. You see, divine wisdom is that what takes sinners where to? It takes them to the cross. Within this great redemptive story within the scriptures, the central place where this wisdom of God takes a reader as sinner is to the cross of Jesus Christ. That's where it takes it. Wisdom that tells you it was on the cross that your sin was paid for. Wisdom that tells you that there your sin was dealt with by a substitute who was perfect and holy and righteous and there was no sin in him. Wisdom that tells you that there on the cross, Jesus Christ bore your sin, your personal sin, and he paid the penalty for you and for me personally. I wonder if you've begun at the cross. Because you haven't begun at the cross. You're not in Christ. And you still need to learn something of the wisdom of God. The world would say, as Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 1.18, the word of the cross is what the world says. The word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Amen, it is. <coughs> Fourthly, be comforted because... All scripture is God breathed. You see this in verse 16, first part of verse 16. So often people come, or people uh, in people's minds, the Bible is just but another religious book, or, or a collection of, of, of religious, religious writing, all kind of bound into, into one volume. And it's actually even often a Bible, and you would have heard it with the Quran, or, or maybe some of the Hindu Vedas. There, the Hindus, sacred writing, uh, or even other religious texts. And um, the scriptures, the sacred writings, as, Paul, as Timothy knew them to be, the Bible, the, this very preserved text that we have today, is far more than that, folks, far more than that. Verse 16 says, All scripture is inspired by God. You see that? This would have been a tremendous comfort for Timothy on this occasion as it should be to all of us. Remember, he was under the pump, he was under the pressure, uh, he was really feeling the heat of the moment, and he was living in an already too far gone world, and that things were going to go from bad to worse. <laughs> he wasn't going to change the course of this world. The world and the culture and the religiosity had cut its path, and that's where Paul said it's going to carry on getting worse and worse and worse. That's what he was facing. And here he's told us to be comforted because all scripture is God breathed. All scripture is inspired by God. You see, knowing that all scripture, the word scripture is graphite, where we get the word autograph and, and we use that sometimes in English, it's totally inspired by God, fully inspired by God. Or in other words, that word inspired means God breathed. And it's a wonderful truth to cling on to. You know, some have attacked this very verse here. Some critics have attacked this verse and say, no, 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 this verse should read like this. All scripture inspired by God is. In other words, they, they, they shift that little word is to the back. We would, the scripture says all scripture is inspired by God. Some would say all scripture inspired by God is. But you know what? 
if we read it like that, that would leave us all muddling around and arguing with one another and wondering what the genuine God-breathed word was and what parts were and what parts were not. All of Scripture is inspired. So how has this inspired by God text really come to being? By matter of fact, there's another whole sermon here, but I'll just mention 2 Peter 1, 20 and 21. It tells us, knowing this is what Peter says, knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy that talks about the Scripture of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. In other words, as they were moved, as they were like a ship that has wind in itself, as they were moved along, the Spirit of God caught special men up for the special purpose, and God spoke through them, and they wrote down exactly what God wanted them to write down. In other words, even though Scripture, this graphic, those original manuscripts that we haven't got any, we've only got translations of them by and now, and might I say very, very good translations, excellent translations, they were penned by human beings, true, preached by human beings, but they are the very breath of God breathing from a human instrument. That's how these original men were all about. It's a bit like someone who plays, we haven't got anyone here this morning, but plays a wind instrument. What they do is they breathe into that instrument and music comes out of the instrument they're playing. God has also his instruments. And those instruments were these original writers of both the Old Testament and the New Testament text through whom he breathed through to give you and me and all mankind his wisdom that leads to salvation. How good is that? And he's preserved this text right up to this present day. Mankind, in his wickedness, has tried to destroy and eradicate it, but it's still here with us. And so he has said exactly what he wanted to say about himself and about fallen mankind. These are just not vague ideas. And it's breathed out word, as in the scriptures we read today, are reliable, they're trustworthy, and without error, because they're God-breathed. My dear people, we may value the scriptures as it is, but may we learn to value them more and more, knowing that these are the very God-breathed words of themselves, and not only that, he's preserved, miraculously preserved this, this text down through the millennium so that his people may come to faith. Because we know uh, Romans 19, 17 tells us that faith comes by what? Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. So you don't come to faith by looking at the star. Or you don't come to faith by looking within yourself. Scripture has to play its part, play its part, and has to be instrumental. And then finally we see that Paul assures Timothy of the adequacy of Scripture. The adequacy of Scripture. It says, be assured, Scripture is totally sufficient for equipping God's servants. What we must see here is a link between the inspired word of God 
and its conclusive usefulness. In other words, God's breathed out word is is useful. It's not useless. It's profitable, it says here. It's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. It's absolutely true. Every believer needs to be discipled. We all need to be trained as followers, as learners of Jesus Christ. We need to be trained in the Lord's way. We know that. We need to we learn how to live, live righteously. This does not come automatically. Like some bolt out of the sky. We need to study this book. We need to read it and be diligent and so to be approved of God so that we can accurately handle it in order that we can faithfully teach others. We need God's way for living to be taught to us. We need to learn from this book. We need to live by this book. Sad to say, so many Christians live and think like they never knew this inspired text ever existed. I was lunching with some pastors during the week. Not my normal group. Another group, some of whom I've never met. And we gathered to discuss the potential of advancing the gospel ministry to inmates in our South Australian prison system. And I was there to see if there was something that, if this was something that, that we as a church and as individuals might be able to engage in um, in the new year. And if any are interested in that, by the way, come and see me after, because it's a fantastic work, and I was greatly encouraged. But what struck me the other day it was during our conversation it was a comment made by one of the pastors who was already involved in this prison ministry and we asked how it actually works and what's involved and, and one part of it is where they go and visit prison that's only one part of it another part of the ministry is where you um, uh, interact with prisoners via writing uh, either electronically or um, the old way with a pen and paper and you answer their questions so they do their studies and what happens is they answer the questions, but most often they also ask other questions. And so that is sent to individuals who then answer and interact with them. What, what a wonderful work. You know, there, there are many prisoners who have been saved through this ministry. I'm encouraging you in the new year to pick up with this. And so, but what struck me was a comment made by one of the pastors. Uh, as I said, he's already involved. And he said this, it's surprising how very few Christian men, because he says men, because over 80% of prisoners in our, all of Australia are men. Um, it's surprising how very few Christian men are able to hold a conversation with an inquiring prisoner about the gospel. How sad is that? He then said it's simply because they have failed to understand the fullness of the gospel themselves. And so they can't put into words, they can't explain the gospel, even in written form. You see, folks, if we neglect or fail to take up every possible opportunity to study and learn God's word, read that word, this fully sufficient scripture that's already there for teaching, for reproof, for correction and for training in righteousness. If we, if we fail and neglect to study that, we will be at a severe loss at advancing the gospel ourselves. Because why? Because this, this is the only way that God has chosen 
to do that. You can join in and hold the biggest soup kitchen that you like. You can give out as many food parcels as you like. That will not in itself directly bring men and women to Christ. You must be able to get down to the nuts and bolts and explain the gospel. And to do that, you need to know that the only place you know that is here. And for you to be a channel of God's blessing as God intended each and every one of us to be, you need to know the gospel and know the scriptures. So no matter what your situation, no matter if everything around you, around us, is doom and gloom, if all seems too far gone or hopeless, we can be assured of this. The Holy Scriptures, the Word of God, is totally sufficient to fully equip you, to train you for, for whatever good work, for whatever ministry, whether it be in your home, for your children, in your workplace, in the church, or even speaking or writing to prisoners, for whatever good work God has lined you up for, the Scriptures are totally sufficient in training you for that. You see, it's not your academic ability, it's not your oratory skills that have to be up here, or your lineage, or your past experiences that equip for your ministry. This is a footnote. I've always had an interest in prison ministries, even though I've never been involved in it myself, and I just find it rather ironical right at the end of my time here um, in the will of the Lord. No. God introduces me to it again, but maybe it's so that I can encourage you. I always remember many years ago there was a, um, a, a preacher, a minister, an itinerant minister, who, who left the uh, itinerant ministry and took up uh, a ministry involved in prison work. He does this back in New Zealand. And um, him and his wife used to go along. Mostly he, his wife used to go along for support. And he used to teach the gospel and preach the word. And, and then, in the sovereignty of God, he passed away. He died. And he wasn't like an old man, not even my age. He passed away. I think it was a brain tumor. And his wife says, so what do I do now? And so she chose, and after much prayer, to continue in the prison ministry, visiting hardened male criminals like over here in Yatla and other places and there was much trepidation and there was many questions and this woman, woman was a can I say it, a very saintly lady she dressed like she could be greeting the queen on all occasions she spoke prim and proper Everything that was opposite to that prison system was in this dear woman of God. And so she goes up to her first prison visit to speak to some of these hardened criminals after getting all the necessary um, procedures in place. And she had an amazing rapport with prisoners like her husband and many other male workers never ever. What it was, she found out later that the odd times and the few times that she used to go with her husband, those hardened criminals saw something in this lady, the way she carried herself, not only physically, but the way she spoke and the way she ministered with her husband. It blew them away because they'd never seen anything like that before. And it, they had such 
a reverence and a respect for this lady that they hung on every word she said when she went in there alone. Solomon wanted the Lord through this lady. So don't think that you need to be someone or you need to have clothes <coughs> up your arm and, and, and wear a beanie or whatever uh, to go into a prison that speaks to prisoners or write to prisoners. Okay? God can use that, but he doesn't need to use that, and he often doesn't. He can use anyone. He equips us through the word, folks. He equips us through the word. May we learn and become more and more than ever before. Men and women, women of the book, so that we might live by the book for his glory. Amen? So we pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for this time together. And for this challenge of Paul's counsel to Timothy has been counseled to us. Help us to become men and women of the book. Help us, if there are any here, to come to the cross and acknowledge that we are sinners and that the only way for salvation is to trust in Jesus Christ and to pour out our hearts to him in, in faith. Help us to do that, but help us then to, to live authentically and to stand firm and to be men and women who live by the book. Take us from this place and to our homes and safety, and as many of us will be honouring our fathers and dads today, may us be a, a great time, but also time to reflect on our Heavenly Father, eternal Heavenly Father, the one who loves unconditionally. And so, Lord, we give thanks for our time together. In the name of our Lord Jesus, Amen.